Today's message comes from Matthew chapter 13, Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. We have two very short parables where Jesus teaches us about the unimaginable kingdom of God in the here and now. And before we launch into that, it's important for us to kind of just refresh our mind to refocus on what exactly the kingdom of heaven or the the reign of God actually is. The reign of God, the kingdom of heaven, is the world put right. Me put right with God, me put right with others, me put right with this broken and fallen creation, all by the power of the life of Christ. The kingdom now is hidden. The kingdom is hidden because God will work through all of the pain, the suffering, the struggles, and even death to usher us into the fullness of his kingdom. All of the struggles frustrations, and pain God uses to usher us into his kingdom now. This is powerful. This is the already but not yet understanding of God's plan. The kingdom is here now, and and the church is the body of Christ with skin on, living his mission and ministry out in the world today, preaching and teaching and healing. And as such, we are outposts of that kingdom of heaven. As we look at these parables, we have the parable of the man stumbles into a field, finds this treasure by accident, puts it back in the ground, sells all that he has so that he can purchase this field and own that treasure outright. And the wine, and the, and the, wine, and the pearl merchant who goes and, and sells what he has after finding this pearl in a market that's unlike anything he's ever seen so that he can purchase that pearl and keep it as his own. And as we were working through the study this week, the question kept coming up over and over again, what is this treasure? And what is this pearl? Now, there's a couple of different traditional ideas and thoughts that I've always kind of grown up with, understanding what the treasure and what the pearl actually are. The first one is this idea that the the treasure and the pearl symbolizes and our eagerness to sell what we have to purchase signifies the actual cost of discipleship the cost of discipleship. We know that uh, following Christ comes at a price, that that we'll be rejected, uh, we'll need to sacrifice, and we will suffer. And to to think about this as being so incredible that we, we give everything for. We give it all away. Our boats, our houses, our cars, our fancy clothes, we, we give it all away. We give our own plans for the will of God to build his kingdom and not our own, to be like the church in Acts chapter 2 that that sold all that they had so that they could give to the needy. But there's a problem with that. In this perspective, the kingdom of heaven is all about us, about the costs that we pay, about the actions that we take, that the man and the merchant who sold what they had, they didn't give the proceeds away. In fact, they went and bought something else just for them, for them to keep. The treasure and the pearl, therefore, must be about something other than the cost of discipleship. Another common belief is that this pearl and this treasure symbolize Jesus, the gospel, salvation, the greatest gift the world has ever known. Surely nothing is more precious than that, right? That, that after all, life is, is seeking seeking incredible value. That in this gift, we receive something of unimaginable grace, an unimaginable kingdom right here and right now, just not yet in full. 
And life is so much about seeking value. Sometimes we stumble into it, sometimes with great effort, but oftentimes our sense of value is just too small. That our value should be seeking something of value that's even higher. We need our relationship with Jesus to be the most important aspect, the thing that we treasure most, that we desire most, above all other things. To understand that God, through Jesus Christ, and his gift of salvation, we have everlasting life. That should trump everything else that we have. And if this is their understanding of these two parables, then the application aspect of these two changes to one of evangelism. Right? We've been given this incredible gift of life, but not for us just to hang on to, but to share with the world, to share liberally. And if the kingdom of God is here and now, then we need to have this sense of urgency to go out and share with as many people as we can because time is short. And we've got to get this light into the darkness of the world. We have to share it. I mean, it's the Great Commission after all. But then again, the man or the merchant paid a ridiculous amount of money for this field to own the treasure or this pearl of great value only to keep it to themselves. There's something that's possessed that has tremendous value, but it's not shared. And to add to that, there's no price that any of us could ever pay to earn or merit God's love, grace, forgiveness, and life. So it can't be that. It can't be about the cost of discipleship. It can't be about Jesus, the gospel, grace, everlasting life. It's something different. It's important to remember that the, the reign of God, the kingdom of heaven, is all about what is happening around us. It's not what we do. It's God's action in our lives. I'm going to flip this a little bit. Because what if the man and the merchant isn't actually us? It's interesting to note that in Matthew's gospel, every time Jesus shares a parable, he does so whenever there's a, a single character or a primary character in a larger cast. That single character or primary character is always, generally speaking, God, specifically speaking, Jesus Christ. So what happens when we make Jesus the man who finds a treasure in the field and the merchant who's searching for and finds this pearl of great value? See, the first two stories put us at the center of the story. We make ourselves to be the man and the merchant. We love the story to be about us, right? We want to be the center of tension. But we're all broken. We can't be the hero. When we put Jesus in that spot instead, it changes the entire understanding of this parable. Jesus now becomes the man who finds the treasure, who buys the pearl, who sells all that he has, even his own life, to possess that treasured and valuable possession. It should be clear by now that the great treasure, the pearl of great price, is me, is you. The person Jesus would do anything to have by his side. You, sometimes, me, sometimes, in the midst of life's problems and struggles and failings and, and sinfulness, it's easy to feel like we're not worth that, God. Like, you, you really, you died for someone like me. I, I'm not good enough for that. 
I'm not worth that. And when we have those feelings, that's because that we've put our, our sense of value on our identity, and our identity is fixed on something wrong because we pull our identity from all the wrong places, from our sinfulness, from un- unworthiness, from broken humanity. But God sees us differently. Listen to the truth of God's word. That God sees you as his treasure, as his pearl of great price. That while you were yet sinners, Jesus came to purchase you. The truth of God's word is that he sees you of great, tremendous value. Let that sink in. Give it time to just sink in. That God looks at you and he sees the righteousness of his son. He looks at every one of you and sees sons and daughters of his own that he has claimed through the waters of baptism, washed you clean, forgiven you, made you whole. Get this. He doesn't even just see you as you are now. He sees you as you will one day become in eternity. Get that. That perfection that you will one day be after the resurrection, that's how Jesus sees you right this moment. Now think about this. When you have something of value and you want to get it appraised, you want to know the actual value of the object you have, you take it to an appraiser, whether that be an object or real estate or a car, whatever the case may be. You take it to an appraiser. Sometimes I think that we're guilty of going to the wrong appraisers for our sense of value. Sometimes we like to value ourselves based on our bank accounts or our financial strength or security or or our popularity or our power or prestige or our social media influence capacity. And all of those measurements may feel okay at first, but I promise you they are temporary, short-term. They just miss the point entirely because they measure you from a worldly perspective. Now, we are to go to the, the appraiser, the one who made us, the one who shaped us, the one who forgave us, who redeems us, to go to God, the great appraiser. And his appraisal today of every single person in this room and watching online is that you are an incredible, without, without limit, expensive, priceless treasure and pearl incredibly unique all your own he loves every single one of us the same but uniquely at the same time and don't miss the fact that when the man buys the field in this parable it says it's his joy to sell everything so that he can buy it listen to this Then in joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. In joy. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, or for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Humanity is the treasure that Jesus is willing to pay any price to have, even his own life. And check this out. The unimaginable grace of God revealed in Jesus through this story is that the man who bought the field bought the whole field, right? He didn't just buy a small little parcel that contained the treasure where he hid it. He buys the whole field, which reminds me of John 3, 16, that God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. He bought the field, the treasure and the dirt, the sheep and the goats alike. 
So what's the application? If this is a better understanding, a Christ-centered understanding of these parables, the application is how we see ourselves differently. Right? The context immediately before this in Matthew chapter 13 and immediately after this in Matthew chapter 13 is one of intensifying struggle between Jesus and the Pharisees. The disciples feel the pressure, and the pressure is not going anywhere. In fact, it's building and building and building. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to pull his guys aside. And through this parable, tell each and every one of them, you are a treasure. You have more value than you know. You are worth the world to me. I will do anything to stand by your side. I will never leave you or forsake you. I love you. You need to understand how important you are to me. And I believe Jesus is doing the exact same thing for us today. That whatever trial or struggle you're in the middle of, whatever di difficulty or hardship you're wrestling through, this moment in time right here and right now, Jesus is pulling you aside and looking you in the eye and saying, I love you. I got you. All of these struggles and trials, none of them will snatch you out of the Father's hand. I have purchased you. You belong to me. And I'm going nowhere without you. So knowing that, we can follow him in confidence. And how does knowing that you are Jesus' priceless treasure change the way you face the rest of the day, the rest of your life? To know that God has not forgotten you or, or abandoned you. To know that he sees us. He knows our steps. He knows what we need to get through the end of this day. And we can rejoice in our suffering. Just like Jesus considered it joy to experience the cross. James 1, 2 says, we can count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. But there's another application to this. To understanding Jesus as the man and the merchant. And us as the treasure and the pearl. Is that not only do we see ourselves differently. But we're invited to see other people differently too. Especially those who don't look and sound like we do to love our enemies. You see, when you really come to grips with the fact that you are a priceless treasure of God, it opens up your eyes and God allows you to see that the people around you are also equally treasured by God. We are encouraged to see people not as the world sees them, but as God sees them. There was a, a commentator that I read this week. I want to read you a short paragraph from him. He said, the man who discovered the treasure did not simply buy the cubic yard or so of nice clean dirt in which he cleverly buried it. He bought the whole property, sinkholes, dung heaps, poison ivy, sticker bushes, plus all the rats, mice, flies, and beetles that came with it. So too the church, if we can't bring ourselves to love all sorts and conditions of human beings, white and non-white, male and female, smart and foolish, good and bad, spiritual and non-spiritual, then we can't even pretend that we are evangelical. We are to view our neighbors as God's treasure. We are to see them all as having immense value, to generously pursue them and reveal to them the great cost that God has paid to redeem them. For God so loved the whole world. Let us be inspired to do the same. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we, we can never thank you enough for paying the price that you've paid for us. 
even though it doesn't look like it sometimes. From, from your perspective, you see us as a, a treasure that, that can't even be placed a value on and a pearl, a unique, beautiful creation. God, we thank you for that. Give us eyes to see those around us in the same light to know that all of humanity is loved and treasured by you. And we pray this in the one who who bought us in his name, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.